today's scripture, which is Luke chapter 2, verses 8 through 20. Hear now the word of the Lord. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly, with the angel, a multitude of the heavenly, uh, there was a heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem to see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning the child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds had told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. This is the word of the Lord. All right, kids, am I going to get this right? Go tell it on the mountain. Is that right? Is that right? All right, all the adults. Ready? Go tell it on the mountain. All right, we're going we're gonna to come back to that later, and there'll be a quiz. Well, uh, among the most loathed of holiday traditions is the luxury Christmas car commercial. Basically, how the luxury Christmas car commercial goes is that on Christmas morning, the family awakens and they go outside to the driveway to see the brand new luxury car sitting there with a giant bow on top. And the husband says to the wife as he hands her this fancy key fob thingy, Merry Christmas, right? And she looks on with joy as she gets and receives this beautiful present, joy. Uh, Saturday Night Live spoofed the, uh, the Lexus December to Remember sales events that they do every year. And uh, in, in the, their, their fake commercial spoof of, of these, um, the husband um, uh, gives the wife the car keys and they go outside and he says, Merry Christmas, baby, as he stands in front of this new Lexus. And then she says what every wife should say in that moment. Are you kidding me? You bought a car without consulting me? This is a huge purchase. That's what every wife should say to her husband if he ever comes home with a new car. Um, among you know, the, the, this, this loathsome picture, uh, there's, there's a lot of, uh, of things out there in, in retaliation. There was a, an article written um, in the Chicago Tri uh, Tribune by a guy named Christopher Borelli, and he, he really artic articulates well the ridiculousness of the luxury Christmas car commercial. And he begins uh, his article with a very uh, facetious tone. He says this, on Christmas morning, when you find a new luxury SUV in your driveway with a giant red bow on the roof, as one does, stop a moment and think about the less fortunate, those overlooked by Santa. 
not waking up to smooth modernist homes, perfectly fitted J. Crew sweaters, and new cars ornamented with bows so large that the ribbon cascades across polar white metallic roofing in 94 cubic feet of cargo capacity. Can we all agree not to rub it in? And then, less sarcastically, he continues. Or can we agree that Christmas TV commercials for cars are among the most obnoxious, borderline sociopathic cultural phenomena that operate in plain sight? Later in the article, he says, every commercial in its own way is about selling an unattainable dream. But the Christmas car commercial exists outside the typical marketing of desire, or rather, it is that marketing with a seasonal layer of delusional fantasy attached. His article uncovers that uh, there are actually quite a few cars sold uh, during the holidays as Christmas presents. There is a, um, a store in, uh, in uh, Pennsylvania called uh, the, the uh, Car Bow Company, specializes in making bows for cars. They, they sell approximately 25,000 car bows a year, mostly during the holidays, right? Now, what I find interesting about the, the Christmas car commercial. First, I want to say this. Look, I, I'm, I'm not attacking anybody owning a, a luxury vehicle. Okay, this is not what this is about. I'm, I, I'm wanting to address the advertising, okay? I, I, I want to look at the, 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 the lust that they are going after in our hearts through advertising, okay? Um, what I find interesting about these commercials is that here, here are these uh, luxury automobile manufacturers and they are, they're advertising their vehicles uh, to an audience that they know most can't afford their vehicles, right? They're going to put these, these, these commercials during uh, the middle of a football program or something like that, and 97% and of their audience will not be able to afford the objects on their screen, right? And this is intentional. It's intentional. See, the reality is they don't make cars for 97% of people. And for many, the people that buy these types of cars, for many, I'm not saying at all, but many people who buy these types of cars, they buy them because they're not made for 97% of the people. Because they're special. Because they're expensive. Because they are luxurious. These things become status symbols. Right? That, that, that somebody is, is using this as an ornament to the, the, the monument of their self because they are well-born or they are well-educated and they, they have the right career and they've chosen the right path and, and, and they've made the right amount of money and they have the 2.5 uh, kids, they have the American dream and they're shaping this, they're molding this because of their own you know, the work ethic or whatever have you and they've built this life which is ultimately just a monument to themselves. And so the, the house and the J. Crew sweater, and yes, the car in the driveway is meant to adorn the monument of self. It, 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 is, it is meant to, 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 to be a status symbol which says, I am in the top 3%. It's a gift that they, that, that they would want to give to, to, to a spouse or a loved one that, that shows how significant they are. This is not a gift for everybody. That's the message. This is not a gift for everybody. Well, the good news is we have a gift for everybody. 
That the, the Lexus car or, or, the, or, or the, the luxury automobile, that the thing about that is, is you will have joy over it on Christmas morning, but with every day and with every mile and with every scratch, it will lose its value until one day it is, it is not a status symbol. It is not a symbol of, 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 of who you are. It, it's something to be cast aside and a new one purchased. The joy for this will not last, but the joy of Christmas should. Fear not, for the gift of true joy is for all people. We were uh, doing uh, this series, this Advent series, called Fear Not. And we're looking at the instances in the first couple of chapters of the Gospel of Luke where uh, a divine being sort of intercedes into the mundane, uh, the spiritual collides with the natural, right? That there's this moment where heaven crashes into earth and and, and human eyes are opened and there is this this experience with this angelic being and the the, the human response of that is fear. It's fear. And, And the angel's response to that fear is don't fear. Fear not, because something good is about to happen. You are about to receive a gift. Fear not. Last week, um, we looked at uh, this, this, uh, uh, this angel's encounter with a man named Zechariah. Um, he, was, he was standing in the Holy of Holies. He's offering an incense offering in a very significant place. This is a once-a-lifetime opportunity for him to be in that place. And, uh, and this angel appears to him and speaks to him and gives him this promise that he and his, his wife are going to conceive and have a son. The problem is, is they've never been ever to have children. Uh, she is, they're both older in age, and uh, this seems to be impossible. Uh, this angel also appears to a young virgin teenage girl and says that she too will conceive a son. Uh, Zachariah's son will be uh, the, the, the one who comes before. He's the one who's going to prepare the way for the Messiah. The Messiah is the, the, the king that, that the Old Testament pointed to. He's the prophet the Old Testament pointed to. The, the, the priest that the, the whole Old Testament pointed to. He's going to be the savior of God's people. And, and John's going to be the one who prepares the way for him. And, and for Mary, her son is going to be that Messiah. He's going to be that king. He's going to be that prophet and that priest. He's going to be the savior of the world. And, and here are these two promises. And, and Mary's response to the angel is, how will God do this? There's faith in there. She believes God will. She's just asking how. Zachariah's response to is, can God do this? And what's interesting about that is he's the priest. Like, he's the guy who's supposed to know better than anybody. He, he's the guy who, who, who knows the Old Testament. He knows, in fact, that God has given old people children before. He knows the promises of God, and he's still asking, can God do it? Where Mary has been given this gift of faith, and she just believes it. She just believes it. So what happens for Zechariah is that the angel says, well, I'm going to give you a sign, and his mouth is closed. Uh, but then, then we see Mary's response to it is that she hurries up, and she goes with haste to Elizabeth. She goes and sees her cousin, and, and here's these, these two women who, who get to share in the joy of what is happening to them both. It's a beautiful picture of community. And, 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 and so then we see Mary's Magnificat. That's where we closed last week. This is, this is this, the, the, the magnification of who God is. This is Mary's song of praise that she delivers. And what's interesting is that her song of praise comes before she gives birth to Jesus. So that's where we left off. I'm going to pray, and we're going to pick up in Luke chapter 1, verse 56. Heavenly Father, um, I pray this morning that um, 
we be reminded of joy, your joy. That, that we would be reminded of, of what it is like to, uh, to know your salvation and all that it means. Uh, to know that joy. It's so easy for us to forget it. It's so easy for us to uh, look to other things. Uh, I pray this morning that you would put the joy of your salvation uh, right in front of us. That we might admire it again. and Love it again and love you for it. Uh, remind us of joy. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Luke chapter 1, verse 56. And Mary remained with her about three months and returned to her home. Now the time came for Elizabeth to give birth, and she bore a son. And her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown great mercy to her, and they rejoiced with her. And on the eighth day, they came to circumcise the child. And they would have called him Zechariah after his father. But his mother answered, no, he shall be called John. And they said to her, none of your relatives is called by this name. And they made signs to his father inquiring what he wanted him to be called. And he asked for a writing tablet and wrote, his name is John. And they all wondered. And immediately his mouth was opened and his tongue loosed and he spoke, blessing God. You know, Mary was given this, this, this gift of faith that when the angel told her what would happen to her, she believed. Zechariah, he heard what was going to happen to him and he doesn't believe, at least not at first. He will have faith, but it will, it will be a faith that comes through the discipline of God. Somebody asked me last week, um, what, why, why didn't uh, Zechariah receive grace? You know, why, why, did, why did God close his mouth? And the reality is, is Zechariah did receive grace. If you think about, um, here, here Zechariah is, he's standing in the holy of holies. Like, the, 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 there's talk that, that these priests who would go into the holy of holies, they had to have a, a rope tied to their ankle so that if they got killed by God, they could drag their bodies out. Like, he's, he's in the holy of holies, and God gives him a promise, and he's questioning God right in that moment. Like, it's a wonder God didn't smoke him then and there. But didn't. No, this is grace. Additionally, God could have said, you know what? You don't believe me? I'll find somebody else. No. This, this is grace. God loves Zechariah, and he's going to discipline him to get him to that point of faith. Proverbs 3, 11 and 12 says this, My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline or be weary of his reproof, for the Lord reproves him whom he loves. As a father, the son in whom he delights. God loved Zechariah enough to shut his mouth. And so for nine months, his mouth was closed, and he simply got to sit back and watch what God was doing and unfolding this promise. He just got to sit back and watch this unfold until his son was born. This is, this is faith that comes about through discipline. You know, some of us are, are, are like Mary. You're, you're told about the gospel, you're told about Jesus, and you, you heard it and you believed it. And you didn't need to go asking for, 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 for more uh, proof, or you didn't need to go and, and look for, uh, you know, something to verify what you heard. You just, you believed it. But for some of us, we have had to come through faith by the disciplining love of a father. And that's what the case was 
for Zechariah. Through discipline, he was led to repentance and faith. And here's where the faith is seen. Verse 63 again. And he asked for a writing tablet and wrote, his name is John. His faith is demonstrated in obedience. God told him what to name his son. And he named him John. He believed what God had said. Now throughout the Old Testament, we see God naming people. And through naming them, uh, their course is set. Their plan uh, for, for their life, their purpose is, is before them because God has, has given that plan and that purpose. But there's a place in the Old Testament uh, where we see people naming themselves. Uh, this last week, we finished up the second round of, of a preaching course, and the students in the course all prepare and deliver messages, and, and one of our students uh, talked about the Tower of Babel. And here was a group of people that wanted to make a name for themselves, a name for themselves. They didn't want an identity to, to be given them by God. They didn't want a purpose that came from God. They wanted to, to, to make a name for themselves. And here's Zechariah. He has an opportunity to name his son after, after himself. But he chooses to name him what God has named him. To follow God. To participate in what God is doing. It is faith demonstrated in naming him. Um, John's name is, is literally pronounced Ionas, I think. Uh, and it, it means Jehovah is a gracious giver. Jehovah is a gracious giver. It's just demonstrated in what God does. Zechariah and Elizabeth, given this gracious gift of a son. John himself is a gracious gift to the world who's gonna make way for the, the, the Messiah. The, the Jehovah is a gracious giver for us. And so the result is, for Zechariah, a faith and an obedience that comes by the discipline and grace of God. And I wanna look at how that ends. Look at, with me at verses 67 through 79. And his father, Zechariah, was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to show the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath that he swore to our father Abraham to grant us that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High. For you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people and the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. This is a man who is, this is a prophecy of praise coming out of the lips of this man who is now uh, speaking under the power of the Holy Spirit. It's a prophecy of praise. Now, uh, there's two things about this that I, that I want us to point out before we, we, we move along. The first is this, that, that Zachariah's prophecy is supposed to stand next to Mary's Magnificat that Mary is praising God for what he is doing, and, and Zechariah is praising God. These, these two statements that are happening are, are meant to be dealt with simultaneously. The interesting thing about it, though, is like I said earlier, Mary, she praised God before she gave birth. She praised God before the events unfolded, before the promise um, actually was fulfilled. Zechariah, he had to wait till after. His, his prophecy of praise comes after 
John is born, after the promise is fulfilled. Some of us are a little bit slow in the uptake when it comes to our faith. Some of us need a little bit more discipline from God, but both are recipients of God's grace. The second thing I wanna point out is this, is that, um, let me just find out what that is. The second is, is, is the, the tense in which Zechariah talks. I want you to notice that he, he speaks in a past tense in this. He said he has visited and redeemed his people. Past tense. He has raised up a horn of salvation. Again, past tense. And, and all of this has happened so that we, having been delivered from the hand of our enemies, past tense, might serve him without fear, present tense. And here's the interesting thing that we see in Zechariah's faith. Where at the beginning he is told by an angel standing in the Holy of Holies that this is going to happen, and he doesn't believe it. Yet by the end of it, he's talking about the, these things as if they've already happened. Zechariah is saying, like, this is so sure that you can bet on it. Like, like he's talking about it in the past tense, like, that God's promises, are, it's like they're already accomplished. This is a future thing, but it's like it's already done. You could see Zachariah's faith growing in this. And so, um, for now, John's story is gonna be put on hold in verse 80. It says, and the child grew and became strong in spirit, and he was in the wilderness until the day of his public appearance to Israel. Uh, John will reemerge in, uh, in chapter three, coming out of the wilderness as, a, as an adult and beginning his ministry. We'll see that in the beginning of January. But for now, let's look at chapter two. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth, and she gave birth to her firstborn son, and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. Now, when you think about all of the details that we are given leading up, we're, we're given this whole narrative of what happens before Jesus' birth, and we are given all this narrative about what happens after Jesus' birth. How come, when it comes to the actual birth itself, barely anything is written? How, how come we, don't, we, we know very, very little? What is Luke's agenda? Now, we, we can get more details when we look at the Gospel of Matthew, but, but in Luke's agenda, there's very little detail here. Like, what, what happened between Mary and Joseph? Like, what was the dialogue like? How did Joseph handle the fact that Mary was pregnant with a child that wasn't his? What did Mary's family think? When Mary found out that they had to travel, what, what, did, she, what did she do? It says they were betrothed. Did they ever get married? Did they ever tie the knot? Like, when, when did that happen? Like, what, what are the events of all this? All, all we know is that um, Joseph is, he's from the family of David. He has to go to Bethlehem. He has to register for tax reasons. So they go. What happened along the way? Who did they encounter? Right? We don't know any of that. Luke gives us no details. Now, all we know is that they, they arrived there, and apparently Joseph doesn't have any family left in Bethlehem. Nobody's taken them in. The, there's no room in an inn. Like, the only place that they can find um, is, is a stable, and they have to take it because she goes into labor. How long was the labor? Anything happened there? Like, how big was Jesus? How much did he weigh? Like, all these, we would love to have these details, wouldn't we? We'd love to have all these embellishments. We'd love to have all of the, we'd like to have all the wrapping. 
Here comes the gift. Is it wrapped in Hallmark paper? What kind of bows are attached? Like, we, we want the, 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 all of the, 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 the stuff on the outside. We want the, we want the f- cool narrative to go with it, and we don't get any of that. Why? Well, I think we find out as we read. Verse 8. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. That's what Christmas is all about, Charlie Brown. That is what Christmas is all about. Why did Jesus come in so quietly? Why isn't there a big narrative? Why isn't all of this flash uh, surrounding the story of, of his birth? Why is it so plain and so humble? Why is it so quick? It's just glossed right over. Why doesn't he come to the top 3%? Why wasn't he born in a palace? Why, why wasn't he given parents of noble birth? Why wasn't he born and placed into you know, a, a, a golden uh, you know, crib? Like, what, Why did he come born to a peasant girl, born in a stable? What, why was, was he born and wrapped in and, and just cloths and, and put in a feeding trough with germs? And you know saliva of animals, and probably the splatter of excrement on that. Like, this is how the King of Kings is born. Why? Because God's redemption—it's not a top-down redemption; it's a bottom-up. He comes to the lowest of the low for all people. This is not a gift that's for a small number of people. This is a gift for all people. And so he starts at the very, very bottom. He starts with shepherds. You see, in that culture, shepherds, they were, they were barely human. They weren't allowed to worship in the temple. They weren't allowed to give testimony in trials. They were, they were dirty. They were, they were outcasts. They were, they were lent to live their lives outside of the city gates. These are the lowest of the low. And these are who God chose to pronounce the birth of his son. You know what's interesting about this? Um, Given the region that these shepherds operated in, uh, in Bethlehem, just outside of Jerusalem, um, these were shepherds who were contracted to raise Passover lambs. Passover lambs. Every year, uh, the, the Jews would celebrate Passover, and they would purchase a lamb, and it would be slaughtered, and they would eat a Passover meal, and it was meant to remind them of their delivery from slavery. It was meant to remind them of the cost of their freedom from slavery in Egypt. The 10th plague that God poured out on Egyptian, the plague of the firstborn son, that the night would come and the angel of the Lord would pass over Jerusalem, or the, 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 the cities of Egypt, and and every firstborn son would be taken unless a lamb was slaughtered and its blood poured over the doorposts and it became a substitute for the little boy inside. See, Jesus is our Passover lamb. 
And God's firstborn son comes to die. He comes to shed his blood so that we get to go free. You see, these men, they raised Passover lambs. They were now celebrating the Passover lamb's entrance into the world. As the Son of God comes and becomes our substitute. The angel of the Lord appears to these shepherds and they're afraid. And they're afraid because the divine is now encountering the human, the spiritual, the physical. They're afraid because they recognize who they are in light of who's speaking to them. That the God of the universe is speaking to them through these angelic beings. And that they are hearing about this joy that's for everybody, for the whole world. And the angel calms their fears and comforts them. Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. A joy for all people. Not a joy for the top 3%. Not a joy for the rich. Not a joy for the well-educated. Not a joy for the, the people that are the top of the class, or the top of, of the society. It is a joy for all people. And that's what we have in Jesus. We have a redemption that comes to the lowest of the low and spreads to all. So how do we respond to this gift? How do we respond to this gift? Through communion. If you have those communion elements this morning, will you take them and hold them in your hand? Um, I care about packaging. Uh, at Christmas time, um, I go and I look for uh, wrapping paper that, uh, that you know, matches, that complements um, patterns that kind of go together. Uh, so you find the four pack of, uh, of, of Christmas wrapping paper and, uh, and, and, and I, I assign it to a person, all right? So this is Jack's wrapping paper. His presents are wrapped in this. This is Melissa's. This is mine. This is, and, uh, and this year I came home and the wrapping paper that I had chosen, it, it's wrapping all sorts of stuff. Like, it's all messed up. Like, Jack's presents, are, they're, they're in all four different kinds of wrapping paper. Like, what is it, Christmas in prison? What's going on? <laughs> this, this is horrible. Melissa just, it's all, you know, whatever. <laughs> but, 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 but I care about packaging. Now, I have to admit, I'm lousy at bows really, really lousy. Some of Chris, the, the Christmas gifts that I've wrapped and the bows around them don't look right. But Melissa's really good at it. So our Christmas tree, you know, is, it, it's very complimentary. It's like, it's perfect. but, but I, I care about wrapping paper. So uh, when we switched to these, uh, these things uh, because of, of, of COVID and needing to go sanitary and all, like, I really don't like them. <laughs> like, it's, it's some cheap Grape juice in um, a, a really dry wafer inside a little piece of plastic. And, uh, and I, I, I really don't like them. But the packaging is not what matters. And that's what Luke was trying to demonstrate. Like the, the packaging doesn't matter. It's the gift that matters. And what this symbolizes is the gift of our salvation by grace. So it looks the way it does but it is what it symbolizes that matters. And this is what I want us to think about as we prepare to take this together. There's four questions that I want you to ponder with me before we take this. And here's the first one. 
are you a participant in this gift? Are you a participant in this gift? Going back to Luke 1, verse 15, when the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and they found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. See, the, the, the shepherds didn't hear the proclamation of the angels. It's like, wow, what a light show. What are we having for dinner? They said, let's go see this. And it wasn't let's go see because I need to verify that this is true. It's like, I want to participate in this. I want to be a part of this. God is doing something. And he says it's for all people. God said it's for me. When you look at the symbols of, of, of this, do, do you recognize, God did this for you. Say, say this, God did this for me. He did this for me. I'm a participant in this. That he came for me. Second thing, do you proclaim it? Verse 17, and when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child, and all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. Go, tell it on the mountain. Do you proclaim it? Right? Like, does it have such an impact on your life that you can't shut up about it? Does it make that big of a difference? Do you proclaim this gift? Do you proclaim it to your household? Do you proclaim it to your neighborhood and your coworkers and the world around you? Like, is this such a gift of joy that you proclaim it? Third, do you prize it? Do you prize this gift? Verse 19, but Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. Treasured them up. Do you look at the gift of the gospel? Do you look at the life and the death and the resurrection and the ascension of Jesus? Do you look at what has been accomplished for you? And do you say to yourself, this is a gift? Or do you say, I deserve it. I've earned it. I pray I read my Bible, I do the church, I, I've earned this. Or do you say, this is a gift and I prize it, I value it. If everything else in my life was stripped away but this, I would be okay. The gift that you prize, is it the grace of Jesus Christ? Lastly, do you praise God for it? Verse 20, and the shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. Does it lead to worship? We're all worshipers. And we constantly need to address and ask the question, what, it is, what is it that I am worshiping? What is it that I'm worshiping? Am I worshiping the monument to self? Am I worshiping the, the adornments that I want to, 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 to hang around on my life? Do I worship status symbols that, that pronounce to the world the life that I've created? What is it that I am worshiping? Am I worshiping the God who saved me? Am I worshiping the gift of his son? Am I worshiping the spirit that he puts in my life and in me? Do you praise God for it? That little baby grew up in the night 
before he was taken to the cross. He took bread, tore it into pieces, and he handed it out to his disciples, and he said, this is my body given for you. This is a gift. God is giving you. God is giving you me, my very body that's going to be pierced for your transgressions. God is giving you me. Are you a participant in it? Do you proclaim it? If so, take and eat. Yeah, sticking to the roof of my mouth. I can't get the juice open. In the same way, he took the cup and he blessed it. He said, this is a symbol of my blood being poured out for you. This is a new covenant because of my blood being poured out for you. This is a new relationship that you get to have with your, your God. You get to have my righteousness as I take on your sin. This is a new relationship that you get to have because my blood is poured out for you. Do you prize it? Do you praise God for it? If so, drink all of it. The angel said that this is good news of great joy for all people. Great joy. You know, joy doesn't come about through happy circumstances. Joy is something that exists despite circumstances. Do you have joy this morning in what has been done for you? When you finish out this week of, of Christmas and we meet again, will you still be found with joy, praising God, proclaiming his gift, prizing it, participating in it? Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you for the joy that you would create such a plan. It would involve years and years and oh, so many people and it, all to bring your son into the world at just the right moment. And Lord Jesus, for you to come and come willingly, for you to come small, for you to come insignificant, for you to come powerless, for you to come weak, for you to come poor, for you to come defenseless in that way. And yet you come. And at every moment, you chose faithfulness in your Father. You chose righteousness. You chose love. And you lived that life to become a perfect, unblemished sacrifice to atone for our sin that you willingly went to the cross to make that exchange, that you willingly took on the wrath of God that we deserve so that we could know your righteousness, that you endured all of that so that we could know the Father again, 
so that we could know true life. You sent your spirit. Holy Spirit, thank you for coming. And I pray that even now you would work. If there's anyone here this morning who would say, I don't deserve this. This is a gift that I don't deserve. Would you just remind them of the truth of how great your love is? That your, your love and your forgiveness is overwhelming of any sin ever committed. And I pray that if there's anyone here this morning who, who thinks that you're an adornment, who thinks that it's nice to have you along for the ride, but ultimately it's your life or their life that they're living. I pray that you would remind them of your great majesty and glory. Lord Jesus, thank you for the gift of your life. Thank you for coming. In your name we pray, amen.